power. That power belongs to you. You have that power. And only you have the power to convict the defendant of these crimes. And in so doing, and in so doing, declare that this use of force was unreasonable. It was excessive. It was grossly disproportionate. It is not an excuse for the shocking abuse that you saw with your own eyes. And you can believe your own eyes. This case is exactly what you thought when you saw it first, when you saw that video. It is exactly that. You can believe your eyes. It's exactly what you believed. It's exactly what you saw with your eyes. It's exactly what you knew. It's what you felt in your gut. It's what you now know in your heart. This wasn't policing. This was murder. The defendant is guilty of all three counts. All of them. And there's no excuse. Thank you. You were told, um, for example, that Mr. Floyd died, that Mr. Floyd died because his heart was too big. You heard that testimony. And now having seen all the evidence, having heard all the evidence, you know the truth. And the truth of the matter is that the reason George Floyd is dead is because Mr. Chauvin's heart was too small. Episode 4, and the title is You Can Believe Your Eyes. Those clips that I played at the beginning were from the closing arguments of the attorneys for the family of George Floyd, Steve Slusher, and Jerry Blackwell. Jamar Tisby, Tyler Burns, and others are part of a black Christian collective called The Witness, and they do a podcast called Pass the Mic, which I would highly recommend. They did a recent episode on the Derek Chauvin verdict, and the write-up to it said this, This past week, the world paused and held its collective breath, waiting for the verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial. Almost a year after Chauvin placed his knee on George Floyd's neck and killed him for all the world to see, his verdict was read. Is this justice? Will this lead to lasting change? Is this something to celebrate? I wanted to read that because I think it stated the case so well. I remember where I was on Tuesday, October 3rd, 1995. I was on Manhattan Beach 
at a L.A. church staff picnic. And I remember that time because the verdict of the people of the state of California versus O.J. Simpson trial was read and O.J. Simpson was found not guilty and it shook the nation. And so many people were in an uproar. The undercurrent of the trial had a lot to do with race and in some ways was similar to the trial we just saw. On Tuesday, April 20th of 2021, I was in the backyard. My wife, Trey, came and got me and told me that they were about to read the Chauvin verdict. I remember coming in and being convinced that he would be found guilty given the video and the 21st century lynching that we all saw. It was the most open and shut case in history. In the back of my mind, I do have to admit that I thought to myself, it only takes one nut to hang the jury or to force a not guilty verdict. Right before the verdict was read, my daughter Kennedy and I were talking and she was saying that her heart was beating fast. I talked to many friends after the verdict was read and they talked of being short of breath or their hearts racing or they're being really uncomfortable. So how do I feel in the aftermath of the Chauvin verdict? First, I feel relieved. I have overestimated the morality of the average citizen in the United States. States over the years and certainly over the past couple of years. But at least you can't murder someone on video that the whole world sees for over nine minutes and get away with it, at least not now. Of course, that relief was tinged with sadness at the thousands and perhaps tens of thousands of George Floyds that we never heard about whose murderers got away with it, some of whom were law enforcement officers and some weren't because there was no video. And were it not for the bravery and quick thinking of Darnella Frazier, who at that time was 17, having the wisdom to take the video and then post it to Facebook, we likely would never have known what happened and Chauvin and the other police officers would have gotten away with murder. In fact, this is the headline of the original Minneapolis police press report on May 25th, 2020 of the death of George Floyd. It says, man dies after medical incident during police interaction. The post begins by saying that Minneapolis police officers responded to a report of a forgery in progress and notes that the suspect appeared to be under the influence. And then it says, two officers arrived and located the suspect, a male believed to be in his 40s, in his car. He was ordered to step from his car. After he got out, he physically resisted officers. Officers were able to get the suspect in the handcuffs and noted he appeared to be suffering medical distress. Officers called for an ambulance. He was transported to Hennepin County Medical Center by ambulance, where he died a short time later. At no time were weapons of any type used by anyone involved in this incident. No officers were injured in the report. Body-worn cameras were on and activated during this incident. Were it not for that video, this is the version of that situation that we would have gotten. How despicable, how evil, how nonchalant. And then, of course, we saw the killing of Adam Toledo and Dante Wright and Andrew Brown Jr. Of course, 10 days before the Chauvin verdict came down, we saw the horrifying video footage and read the report about Karan Nazario, a black and Latino Army second lieutenant who was assaulted, held at gunpoint, thought he was facing execution, and was illegally detained in December 2020 in the town of Windsor, Virginia, by two Virginia police officers. And so there's relief from the Chauvin verdict, but there's also dread that even in the midst of that, surrounding it before and after it, there was a spate of killing of unarmed black people by law enforcement officers and one assault. And so if you're a person of color, I bet you feel that same sense of relief and dread. You can't really celebrate, but you're glad that Chauvin didn't get away with it. Though none of it brings George Floyd back. None of it makes his loved ones miss him any less. And so we think, what in the world can I do as a Christian about this? What can I do? as a citizen about this. 
Here are a few things I was reminded of or taught through the Derek Chauvin trial. One, even though every defense attorney is supposed to do whatever he or she can to exonerate their client, I found it really galling and insulting that the defense attorneys for Derek Chauvin would treat the jury like they were stupid, would say that the officers were intimidated by the crowd and that the crowd was menacing, or that George Floyd died because he had an enlarged heart, or that Derek Chauvin's knee on George Floyd's neck for nine minutes and 29 seconds was an excessive force and that the officers felt like their lives were at risk. I was going to call this episode The Gaslight is Still On in the United States of America. And I do want to talk about that evil practice in an upcoming episode. But it was just a demonstration of what companies racist acts and racist philosophy. In almost every instance, there's an attempt to deny and deflect and gaslight to say you didn't see what you saw. You didn't hear what you heard. Don't apply common sense here. There's nothing here to see, which is what the attorney for Derek Chauvin were trying to do. Never mind the video evidence that you saw. That's not really what happened. And in fact, that didn't cause George Floyd's death. Prior drug use or something else did. So while I'm relieved for the verdict and happy that there is a modicum of accountability and justice for the Floyd family, I'm still deeply angered and saddened in the fact that there was still a racist backlash by many online and just in general to the Chauvin trial. In fact, a poll was taken and 26 6% of those polled felt like the verdict that was reached was wrong. There's such a weird feeling around this, a combination of relief, exhaustion, despair, anger, disbelief. It's as though you're standing as a witness to something and you're wondering if anybody out here sees this and will anybody out here do something. And then when you put the Christian aspect to it, so as a black Christian or a Christian of color, how should I feel about this? Who should I talk to about this? Who should care about this? Do I discuss this after service? What do I do with it in my D group? I think many of us feel as though we're in a no man's land. I would bet that most of the churches that we attend made no public comment before or after the verdict. Probably the people of color in those churches didn't discuss it in mixed race settings, but probably on a sides with other people of color in carrying on the tradition of code switching in every setting and every space. I know there's a deep pain and anger that most of us have just learned to live with. Obviously, first and foremost, we need to go to God as he is the healer. The God of all comfort, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 1, and other things. And yet, we have to ask ourselves the church to which I'm devoted, the church to which I invite my friends and family, the community of faith that I have given many of the best years of my life to. What are we actively doing so that there are no more George Floyds? There's not a single additional Breonna Taylor. There's not another Adam Toledo or Dante Wright. I have to say that the year after the George Floyd murder, I can't say that the church is radically different. I do think we are marginally different in some pockets, but I think we're found wanting. And I just want this space to say and to acknowledge that I know what you're feeling because I'm feeling it. I know what you felt because I felt it. I sense the despair. I sense the how could this reality go on for all these years and still be the way we live in 2021? And does my being in the body of Christ affect in any way? Or does my church community or my community group or my small group or my closest friends, do they all function as though none of this is happening? 
Recently, we had one of our pillar members and leaders who's been in our church 30 years really feel called by the Spirit and led by the Spirit to speak up and challenge the more mature white members of our church on behalf of the younger people of color in our church, just to say that the onus is on them to initiate with those younger people of color and to make sure that those people feel heard, feel seen, feel validated, feel acknowledged, and feel safe with them. And I remember him doing the message, and it was it got like 4,000 views on our Facebook and YouTube channels. This person gave the message and I got a text from one of our members who happens to be white, basically saying, we can't show this message. If we do, people are going to leave. People are upset about Black Lives Matter already and even dealing with that. And people have left and and we're going to have more people leave again. And so we, we processed it for several days, for a couple of weeks with our staff, with our core leadership team, a lot of intense discussions, some tears, some trying to figure out what the right thing to do is and we felt like either we capitulate and don't speak to this issue to quote unquote keep people from leaving or appease people or we speak out and lose people some of whom we've known for 20 years that we have been best friends with and journeyed together it's a choice one that no one would want to make but i know for me and we finally decided God help us if we ever pull punches spiritually or succumb to emotional blackmail or manipulation by any member. Hey, if you preach on this, I'm going to leave. Or if you don't preach on this, I'm going to leave. We, we can't live like that. But I'm just saying that this is a complicated and very vexing time. But I know this. I can't unsee what I saw. I can't unfeel what I felt. I cannot have untaught to me what was taught to me in 2020. And I feel like I have gone through a conversion and there is no going back. I mean, you can't labor in a church for nearly 30 years and not have your heart broken by everyone that chooses to leave. On the other hand, our mission statement as a church is we want to help people find their place in God's story. But the fact of the matter is there have been people who we have helped find their place in God's story, but God's story, the next chapter in their in God's story for them has been in another church, either in another state or in another church here in California. And I'm great with that. I, like I'm open handed. I feel like I want people to be in whatever local church they need to be in, wherever they feel like they can be most effective and most edified. I think God looks at the capital C church. So I'm into what builds the capital C church first and foremost, because we're just one outpost in the kingdom of God. Here is 18-year-old Darnella Frazier's statement given voice by Caroline Randall Williams. A year ago today, I witnessed a murder. The victim's name was George Floyd. Although it wasn't the first time I've seen a black man get killed at the hands of the police, this is the first time I witnessed it happen in front of me, right in front of my eyes, a few feet away. I didn't know this man from a can of paint but I knew his life mattered. I knew that he was in pain. I knew that he was another black man in danger with no power. I was only 17 at the time. Just a normal day for me, walking my nine-year-old cousin to the corner store, not even prepared for what I was about to see not even knowing my life was going to change on this exact day, in those exact moments. It did. 
it changed me. It changed how I viewed life. It made me realize how dangerous it is to be black in America. We shouldn't have to walk on eggshells around police officers, the same people that are supposed to protect and serve. We are looked at as thugs, animals, and criminals, all because of the color of our skin. Why are black people the only ones viewed this way when every race has some type of wrongdoing? None of us are to judge. We are all human. I am 18 now, and I still hold the weight and trauma of what I witnessed a year ago. It's a little easier now, but I'm not who I used to be. A part of my childhood was taken from me. My nine-year-old cousin who witnessed the same thing I did got a part of her childhood taken from her. Having to up and leave because my home was no longer safe. Waking up to reporters at my door. Closing my eyes at night. Only to see a man who was brown like me. Lifeless on the ground. I couldn't sleep properly for weeks. I used to shake so bad at night. My mom had to rock me to sleep. Hopping from hotel to hotel because we didn't have a home and looking over our back every day in the process. Having panic and anxiety attacks every time I seen a police car, not knowing who to trust because a lot of people are evil with bad intentions. I hold that weight. A lot of people call me a hero, even though I don't see myself as one. I was just in the right place at the right time. Behind this smile, behind these awards, behind the publicity, I'm a girl trying to heal from something I'm reminded of every day. Everyone talks about the girl who recorded George Floyd's death. But to actually be her is a different story. Not only did this affect me, my family too. We all experience change. I'm on the most. I strive every day to be strong for her because she was strong for me when I couldn't be strong for myself. Even though this was a traumatic, life-changing experience for me, I'm proud of myself. If it weren't for my video, the world wouldn't have known the truth. I own that. My video didn't save George Floyd, but it put his murderer away and off the streets. You can view George Floyd 
any way you choose to view him, despite his past, because don't we all have one? He was a loved one, someone's son, someone's father, someone's brother, someone's friend. We, the people, won't take the blame. You won't keep pointing fingers at us as if it's our fault, as if we are criminals. I don't think people understand how serious death is. That person is never coming back. These officers shouldn't get to decide if someone gets to live or not. It's time these officers start getting held accountable, murdering people, and abusing your power while doing it is not doing your job. It shouldn't have to take people to actually go through something to understand it's not okay. It's called having a heart and understanding right from wrong. George Floyd, I can't express enough how I wish things could have went different. But I want you to know you will always be in my heart. I'll always remember this day because of you. May your soul rest in peace. May you rest in the most beautiful roses. Darnella Frazier. I believe Jesus is the light of the world and the hope of the world, but converting people one by one without addressing the systemic evils in society and the laws and the policies and the practices that keep that system going is not in keeping with the great commandment to love our neighbors as ourselves, and certainly is not in keeping with the spirit of the Good Samaritan who can embrace his humanity and help the person in need. Let's band together and try to do something so that we don't have to ever see another George Floyd be murdered. I've got some ideas that I'm going to be sharing in upcoming episodes. But for now, I just want to put it out there in the atmosphere that action is necessary to produce change. Yes, we need to pray. Yes, we need to fast. Yes, we need to call on the divine. Yes, we need to be the best Jesus followers we can be. But the Spirit would call on us to do more. Spirit, strengthen us and help us. Give us courage and clarity. Do this good work. To denounce evil. To do what is right. To love mercy. To act justly and to walk humbly with you, dear God. Thanks again for spending some time in The Breathing Room, a space where people of color and faith can come together to have our lived experiences acknowledged, to witness each other's journey, and to take a collective deep breath. Be sure to subscribe to The Breathing Room on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or however you listen. And if you like this episode, don't forget to leave a rating and a review. To connect with us, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, or send us an email at thebreathingroompod at gmail.com. For The Breathing Room, I'm Kevin Holland, and I look forward to seeing you on the next episode.